Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the cold winter of 1989, a Sabat pack who has suffered an immeasurable loss is given an ultimatum. Go to the Twin Cities of Minnesota, investigate why a deeply embedded pack has stopped reporting back, or meet their final death. This is Vampire the Masquerade, Twin Cities by Night, Sorrow, a tale of loss and regret that follows the Sabat pack known as the Nothing. Join us with Becca playing Linda, a Milkavian anti-tribute, Craig playing Jake, a pander, Jordan playing Abigail, a Ravenous anti-tribute, Monica playing Jenny, a Shimizi, and Slavic playing Charlie, a Bruja anti-tribute, and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter, at twin underscore cities underscore btm or on facebook and discord as twin cities by night we hope you enjoy so linda and abigail you are in this decrepit old pickup truck three-seater truck this figure logan is driving he has his hoodie under his jean jacket on he has that black ski mask where it only exposes a little bit of skin around his eyes and around his mouth all which is completely black, except for the white of his eyes. He has his hands on the steering wheel, which are also half thin black leather gloves on, staring attently ahead. Abigail, you're in the middle, occasionally moving your legs as he grabs the stick shift that is by your left knee and shifts into another gear as he drives down the street. Linda, you are in the passenger seat, the same passenger seat you sat in where earlier you rolled down that old window with the old roller and took a shot concentrating to the best of your ability to shoot a tire and you're able to you guys are going down normal suburban streets as street lights give you the green indicator to go and the red indicator to stop and eventually you notice those lights are becoming fewer and farther apart until finally you are driving through areas that look like they are forested or have parks they're not completely thick to where man can't make their way through, but you definitely are driving to where you see trees along the side and it's hard to make out what's on the other end of the trees. Eventually you see he goes from this two lane blacktop road and swerves left onto this dirt road that's covered with gravel and currently has snow that's starting to accumulate on it right now as the snow continues to fall. The windshield wipers are almost hypnotic in the sense that they make this constant pattern of sound as they go back and forth, almost like there's not enough snow for them to completely go over smoothly, and they provide enough traction for them in the window to make the squeaking sound that's almost like a rhythm on its own. Eventually, this truck, as it makes its way down this gravel road with trees that are thick on both ends, eventually you see it comes to this clearing. And you see that there's this trailer. It looks like the type of business trailer that construction workers set up when they're on site. Not one for people to live in residentially, but one for a foreman to sit in when people are tasked to do work. You see that there's a lamp, uh, a generator, almost street lamp, that's set up. And you see the lamp is on and the generator is running. So it illuminates this trailer that's a, a faded, subdued cream color that has rust patches on there like it's been there for a while. And you can even see as the truck lights go across the trailer as he parks. You see, you can almost make that there's something about 200 yards behind the trailer, but you can't quite see what it is. It looks dark, 
as you see the white snow coming across it doesn't look like trees but it looks like something that's dark and large but it's hard to make out the, what with what you just described that would be an interesting detail um i'd like to use aspects to okay. see that thing behind sure all right so go ahead and uh you're going to use heightened senses so go ahead and pop it on i won't make you quite roll it i'll describe it once we get out of the truck so he gets out of the truck and as he's opens the door to get out you feel the sh- the the suspension shift and linda you look through the the window the front window of the truck and for a moment you stop everything that's around you meaning you don't even feel the suspension shift you don't even know or notice that abigail sitting next to you like she's waiting patiently for you to get out you don't even feel the cold that comes in you just focus on dancing your sight and your vision between these snowflakes as they make their way down and you eventually see as you travel through them with your sight and your focus and your concentration you see that darkness looks like it is a mine shaft almost it looks like it's a side of like a like where granite or where gravel or where different kind of stones are processed from and you see it looks like an opening almost like a curve opening almost like a cartoon opening of a tunnel that you would see in the wily e. coyote cartoons when you were younger and you'd watch you see that there's yellow safety fencing that's around the entrance and you see that there's almost it looks like there might be graffiti that's along the entrance there that from years of people going by there and tagging different things on there so he gets out and he closes the door do you guys get out of the truck linda will actually return the gun before leaving the vehicle and then um because that's not going to do us much good and then she'll like open the door and just trying to maintain contact with abigail because she knows that she's in a very sensitive state and she wants to like just physically be there for her okay so he walks up to the trailer and there's these three steps like wooden steps that lead up to the door and you can hear him go up the steps and you can make him out easily through the snow but it's still coming down pretty hard and he takes some the keys that he had with the truck and you see him slide it in as he just to get into the door lock and he opens it up and he steps in and the footsteps sound muffled because there's like that cheap carpeting but you know underneath the trailer is not like the foundation that you normally have in a house so it sounds almost like echoed as he steps in there and as you guys go in, you can feel the warmth from like a heater, a space heater that's in there. You see on the left, there's like this desk. There's two desks that have like piles of paper and and stuff that looks like it hasn't really even been used in a while. Almost has like a layer of dust on there. You see that there's two phones, like a typewriter that's on one of the desks. You see that there's schematics. It looks like are drawings or blueprints that are on the wall that are older. As you look over, it looks like a tunneling system almost. That almost looks like a blueprint of what maybe that mine shaft you think Linda might lead to. And you see that there's a couch on the other end of the trailer, like on the right side of the door. And there, there's an old TV that has like the antenna ears on there with tinfoil that's on like the antenna ears. And there's also a cabinet on that side that has like a little AM FM radio that's on the top there. As you can see right now, you see that the time is on there. And it looks like it's about 2.30 in the morning right now. And he turns around and he like motions for you guys to come in and he goes and he pulls up one of the chairs that are behind the desk and he pushes it towards the couch and he he offers you two to sit on the couch there. Abigail will pull Linda towards the couch and sit down. All right. So I spoke to you about why I needed you guys to come here. What I need before we leave this town and before we go get your friends is that there's something in that mind that I'm going to need one of you to come with me to fix. 
And he's looking at you for a second. You see he's sizing you up both for a second. One of us? Yes. Not both of us? No, that can't happen right now. I need one of you to stay here and to keep an eye open. If we are being tailed, if someone is watching us right now, we, we, have, to, we have to be careful right now. Especially what happened over there with Mark. I, I can't risk it. I can't risk us both going, all three of us going down there. And it's not a three-person job. And he's looking again at both of you and he's like, listen. And he puts his hands on his thighs and he's like, I need to carry something up from down there. And it's something that if we present a singlers, it'd be pretty impressionable and probably good for you all. And he looks at both of you. He's like, listen, it's, I can't believe I'm telling this to some licks. It's an elder. I think it's an elder. It's something that I have staked in there. But it's a two-person thing to get it out there. Those Down in that, down there, on the emotions towards the direction, are some old mines that are in the Twin Cities here. They've been here since the Prohibition days. They, they were used by smugglers in Canada to bring, to bring alcohol into the city. They were used, they are now mainly like a, an attraction that kids go down there and they have parties and concerts and everything like that. The thing is, those, those mines go deep and, and a lot of them are still unexplored. And, well, there was something that came across there. And I happen to go take care of it. But contrary to my common sense, where I think I should be able to claim it as my own, I was able to show some self-control. And I think if we present it to Sangris, it can give him the information that he wants here. I think it's a valuable source of information, whatever it may be. But it's something that it's been here for a while, I think. But I need someone who's observant to stay up here in case someone comes and tries to follow us and can notify us if, it's, if something's going to happen. I have these. And he gets up and he opens up the drawer. And you see him take out these walkie-talkies. And he's like, and he's looking at both of you. And he's like, you. And he points to you, Abigail. He's like, you're going to come with me. He's like, you. And he hands you the walkie-talkie. If you notice anything out of the norm, you you contact me immediately on this. You understand? If, if there's any indication that you think that they're on to us, we'll disengage and we'll come back later and we'll get out of there. But I want to leave the city as much as you do. And I want to go get Benjamin. And I want to go get your two and get Mallory and get out of here. And if we do this and if you help me out and we're successful in this, I will absorb you into our pack. And you'll become strata black. At the the mention of our pack being absorbed, kind of look at Abigail. Abigail is softly cursing under under her breath, but catches Linda's eyes and says, "Fuck, that would make everybody ridiculously proud. Maybe, maybe it would give us a new purpose." With you offering that, I'm wanting to know what exactly is your purpose here my purpose here and i was my pack was sent here to do what we always do we were sent here to embed ourselves into the city and to slowly cause turmoil from within and eventually to lead to where decades later or years later whatever the powers that be to term will come here and take advantage of that and and a crusade will happen they'll, they'll come and they'll try to do here what they did and from what i understand in 1945 and i guess there's from my from what i know there are those in power who want the city and Sangris is one of them. And he's the one who, who tasked us to come here. And we took the call. It could have easily been Vida or anyone else who chose us to come here, but they all, for, from my understanding, what happened in 45 is there was a bunch of them that wanted the city for their own reasons. And so that's why we came here. And that's why I want to take what I have down there to Sangris, because I think it's a source of information. It has to be, if not, it's a gift, I guess, even though part of me wants to claim it as my own. So is that all you were responsible for? <laughs> I'm responsible for the pack. I'm the pack leader. I'm the ductus. It's my responsibility to do to, to keep things together. 
what I do is I, I'm like the glue that kept everyone together. And on the end, also, I did my own stuff. And I, and this was one of them. I kind of caught wind through my sources that there might be something in the tunnel, uh, in these tunnels to look into. It took me years to find any kind of indication. And that's what's down there. It was something that was torpored. I staked it. I came back up here. I was going to figure out how I was going to get back up here. I wasn't sure if I was going to reach out and pull one of my members out of what they're responsible for doing, or if I was going to wait until we got the word to come back and then grab it from there. And then this opportunity presented itself. Looking over at Abigail, are you okay to go down there? Um, yes, I think I am. I think I can do this. Yeah, good. He's like, let's go. And he gets up and he hands you the, hands you the walkie talkie and he tosses you the key to the truck. He's like, this is if you need this. Okay. Then he goes and he opens up the another drawer on the filing cabinet and pulls out two flashlights, like the the kind that you hold by the handle, kind of that have their top handle like a briefcase that you can turn on. And he hands you one, Abigail. It's like you're not going to need this for like the first ten minutes in there, but there's going to come a point where you're going to need it. Okay. Abigail will stand up from the couch, squeeze Linda's hand one more time, and then let go and grab the flashlight. So he goes and he opens the door and you could see the wind, Linda, as it's coming across, like the snow starting to kind of go sideways at this moment. And they both step out into the darkness. Abigail, you see him as he keeps walking forward and he kind of goes out the door, down the steps, and then he makes a right. And then he starts, makes another right to where he's walking, like in the direction opposite the door is facing. And you can hear the crunch of the snow underneath your feet. You still have like the the clothes on you had before right like the jeans and like the leather jacket and everything like that but you can feel the wind like kind of biting through the back of your neck and the back of the even though your skin and flesh is cold but you can still feel it make its way like down your shirt it's like not protecting you from the elements and as you guys are walking down this path it's about three feet wide you hear the gravel underneath it underneath his feet underneath the snow as it starts to crack as it starts to grind together, you see that the trees are on your side, on your left and right. This path kind of curves in between them, but it's, it's, it's open. You can still see in front of you, though. And eventually you start seeing this clearing where there's more gravel, but you see like there's this opening on the side of it. it looks like it's almost like a cliff. It almost looks like 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 a like a half of a mountain that's been flattened off on the top. You can see like the sky past it, but you can't see like where the end of it is. But you see in the opening that there's an opening to it, like a cave opening, uh, upside down U-shaped. And around it's this plastic construction yellow fence with like sign, like a big sign hanging from it, say like, keep out. But you see as you get closer that there's like beer bottles and beer cans are getting covered with snow. You see the graffiti on the side and all around the side of this granite. And you realize when you see this, like, okay, this is a place where kids go and hang out. And you see, he looks at you and he's like, and you can hear his voice through the wind. He's like, this used to be one of the, a pretty big business here industry in the cities from my understanding. But now it's mostly these kids that like to party in here or they go and they try to explore it or they try to find other ways. So when we get in here, you're going to kind of see that at first, we're going to have to go in here quite a while until we get, we start getting to like the real heart of it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just mostly want to get this over with. I get that. It's it's understandable. And you see, as he walks up to the fence, he kind of opens part of the plastic gate and he just like walks through it. And he doesn't even like wait for you to follow him. He just keeps walking forward until you guys like cut through the entrance 
all of a sudden you feel the wind stop and the snow stop as you walk into there. When you walk in there, it's vast. It takes a second for you to like stop as you look at it. Cause it's not, you were expecting like a tunnel, the size of the entrance, but you actually walk into there for like five feet. And then all of a sudden it opens up tremendously. And you see, there's like, like old wooden picnic tables that are in there, like three of them, which doesn't make sense that they'd be in a, in an area like this, but they're old and they are like carved. And you see like, there's like beer bottles and beer cans everywhere. You see like an old mattress that's on the left. This, this area is like about like, like 50 feet wide. And it's about like 50 feet in height. So it's rather, you know, large, but it just looks like it's a party pad. You see old mattresses, you see like, like old coffee cans that have like, look like people are just tossing rocks in there. You see graffiti along the wall. You see old magazines that are damp and cold because people probably haven't hung out in here since the summer. You can, you see that there's like different like band names that are randomly spray painted across. You see that there's Christmas lights that are like the large Christmas lights are almost like along the wall. And as you follow the Christmas lights, you look and you see that there's this little old generator that's in the corner there. Like, like people hook it up and then they run the generator and that's kind of like how it illuminates it. But right now you see that you're getting your lights light source from the lights that you and Logan have right now, which as you turn them on, they're bright and they just cut across there. And he looks at you. He's like, look, see, there's nothing to worry about here. This is just where a bunch of kids hang out and we just got to keep going forward okay yeah like not scared of the dark it's it's what's inside further that scares me why are you so scared you clearly don't know me or my pack or history that scares me and he just stops for a second you see just like he's looking at you and he doesn't know what to say he's like you how long have you been a canine somewhere I must have been three years now. Only three years, yeah. And he looks at you for a second, and he's like, you see his lips like come together, and they like he's about to say something. He stops. He's like, "What did you all do before you came here? Like, why were you sent here?" Do you want the long story or do you want the short story? Short story will suffice. As he keeps walking forward, as you guys are like starting to pass the picnic tables. Short story. Our doctors and priestess killed themselves, and now we're here to prove ourselves. Oh. And you see for a second, he stops, and he looks at you, and he's like, I think we'll need to talk about this later. Yeah, you'll you'll get the long story one day. Oh, Hopefully. I'm sure I will. But and he stops. He's like, why did they kill themselves? He turns and looks at you. The light comes across you. It's kind of bright, you know, as the light. We're a little bit, then he adjusts it, and he puts it on the ground. Abigail's face falls at the mention of, like, why. She basically stops walking and looks at her feet and said, well, they say they couldn't take it anymore. But honestly, I don't know. Well, it seems like, I don't know. Let's hope that didn't pass any on to you. Then he just turns around and keeps walking. She she scoffs. Like, <clears throat> no, not yet. I'm still here. And then she starts walking again. We'll cut to Linda. Linda, what are you doing in this trailer after they leave? It's been about like 15 minutes. I think Linda would start by staying in the trailer, kind of keeping an eye for those first like two or three minutes. And then um, she's going to get distracted. She's like starts noticing how the front of her um, white clothes is all bloody and 
you know, she's still wearing white, but it bothers her. So she's going to start like looking. Does the trailer have running water? No, there's no running water. Actually, you kind of like, are you starting to like panic a little bit when you do this? Are you like moving around quickly or? That's a good question. I, I think because the clothes themselves are still white, they're just stained. It, it's like a slow building up. Like if it doesn't happen soon, if she doesn't get new clothes or she can't clean them, then she'll like, it'll just be this high rise and there's no one around to kind of help ground her. <laughs> so yeah. Is there, are there any clothes in here when she realizes there's no running water? You start like going through these desks and opening drawers and looking for clothes and you don't see any clothes. And there's actually a moment where like, you're going through the cabinet and there's no clothes and you just slam the cabinet door, you know, the cat one, the cabinet doors and you look out the window and you see a figure outside and it's hard to make out for a second because the snow is coming down pretty heavy. That will give her that sharp pang of it, it, it's hard to describe, but just that like you go, you go cold and, and um, she stops and just main like looks at them kind of like a deer in headlights and you see it's this it's this figure of this lady you've been searching for for a while. The one that you actually saw in the vehicle. And she's wearing that white that you saw her in before. And she's just staring at you through the snow, like in the middle of the snow as it's going by. And she's just looking through the win- window at you. It only takes half a second after she realizes that it's the the lady in the white dress. And she bolts out the... Um, out that front door she doesn't take the walkie-talkie with her she she's really not taking anything so like if she happened to take a jacket off or whatever she's just going straight for her as you run up and you rush towards her you see like as you're getting closer she just looks at you and looks at you and then her arms slowly open up like awaiting you to come into her arms yeah i run right into the embrace so she hugs you tightly and for a moment and you could feel like the back of her hand like cupping the back of your head and you can feel like her head leaning her cheek along your ear as she holds you. The snow is coming down around both of you. You can feel it, the wind of it, as it comes across your face. And then you feel her grasp your shoulders and kind of separate you two for about a foot apart. And you see she's smiling and she says, so here we are. Where have you been? I've been here, around. I've been with you. What do we do now? Well... We have a lot to do, but when I say that, I just mean you and I, and she looks at you. A giant smile crosses Linda's face. Yes, yes, just just the two of us, that's, uh, yeah, of course. Your family, they're probably going to die, and if they don't die, they're no longer going to be your family. So there's that internal struggle in Linda's mind, because here's this person that she's been thinking about praying to, essentially, worshiping for the last three years and she like finally physically feels her to her mind and like it it almost her her family almost went to the wayside and then the woman brought her up brought the family up and there's there's that hesitation it's linda clearly wants to do that but it's the family that makes her hesitant it is not because of me it's not of my doing there are others who pull strings here but you 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 were your family was doomed from its inception for a myriad of reasons but i saw an opportunity when it presented itself and that is why you are here that's why you became what you are your friend it's time to forget about her 
There's nothing you can do for her. Her path is her path. You're not meant to be in it. Your other two, the same goes for them. Their paths are their paths. There's nothing you can do about it. But don't fret. I see the worry across your face. While you may not be able to help those three, you will be able to help others. And maybe them in the end. Because there's a lot for you to do, Linda. As I'm going to show you, there are people like you who are making changes right now. Who will continue to make changes. And you are part of us now. You will never feel alone again, Linda. You'll never feel that loneliness. When I say that, we are always going to be together. That is true. And as she she says that, the always together, tears of blood start going down her cheeks. And there's a moment where she just, you see her frown and she just puts her hands like around your, go from her your shoulders to cupping your face. And you see like, she kind of like is trying to like move the tears off your eyes, but obviously they're blood. And you see that you can feel it just smearing along your face. She's like, it's, that's the nature of things. But you, Linda, you're going to see it all. You're going to see every move, every outcome. There's so much more than the here and now. Here, let's walk. I'll show you. And she grabs your hand and starts walking into the snow. Do you come with? It's, yeah, yeah. Linda totally goes with. Um, it's that she grabs the hand and there's just that slight hesitation, almost as if she would firm back, but then she keeps going and Linda follows. As you guys slowly walk into the snow, it's hard to see what exactly you're walking towards because now it's coming through thicker than it has been. It's almost that feeling of when it's just white and coming across as darkness and you just feel her hands and you can, oh, you're almost walking almost like at a slight angle behind her. So you can see her arm coming through the white nightgown covering her brown skin as she's holding your hand and walking forward. We'll cut to Abigail. You guys have made it past this picnic table. You have walked through a tunnel that had an old, like looked like a mine cart or, or almost like a, looked like a, a segment of a, of a train, almost like a caboose. And you can see on the ground, looks like that there's rails as you're walking along. You've been walking for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. The time has been going. The light's been coming across. He hasn't been speaking to you at all. If you would like to try speaking to him, let me know. As you guys, and you guys are making your way forward, you see trash starts loosening up eventually. Like there's not as much trash. And you see you come to where there's like this, it almost looks like kind of like a dead end where like there's like another tunnel, but it's been like so collapsed full of like rocks and, and cement. Like you see there's only like like a really like a two foot opening on the top to get through. And you at first assume that's where you have to go through. But you see like, again, it's very wide and dark, but you see that the light of his goes along to the left of that and goes along to the corner. And you see him walking towards the corner. And, and as he gets close to the corner, you can see then that as his light is going across it, it looks like there's like breaks in the smooth, like cement. And you looks like you can almost like grab a hold of it, like with, with like fingers or a foot, you know, like to make your way across. As he shows the light up, you look and you see it goes up and it's really hard to see the top of the, of where you're in right now, you know, with how high it is, but then eventually you see the light stops and you see, it looks like that there's like a, almost like a, 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 a great opening, like a, like a tunnel, like a small metal, like a small metal, like, like rusted edge. Like it looks like where sewer water would sometimes come out, but it looks like it's obfuscated for a reason. Like it's supposed to be out there, you know, like uh, it's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to be hidden away. And he looks at you and he's like, that's where we need to go. Can you make your way up there? And you look, it looks about like 20 feet. Abigail looks around a little bit, sees probably some foothold, some handholds, yeah, that yeah, that should be possible. All right, make your way up there. Let's go. You go first. 
and Abigail makes her way up there, or is it too easy? Um, we'll say I won't make you roll. You know, you take your time. <laughs> yeah, she takes her time to uh, find places to place her foot, and then to grab onto her hand, and yeah, grab onto the next rock and just climb her way up there. And you find this rather easy because it seems like almost how it's leveraged. You know, it, the angles that makes it easy to leverage your way up there rather than have to use strength. But it's very well hidden and crafted into where it wouldn't be noticed by most people if they were, like, looking for it. You make your way up to the lip of this miniature drain tunnel. And you, you see it's about three feet wide. So you can kind of, like, crawl along in there. And you're able to get up in there. You, like, put your flashlight. You see the flashlight goes down. And you can't really see, like, how far the light goes down. But it looks like this tunnel goes for a while. And then when you, you feel that a hand, like, kind of pat you on the foot to tell you to move forward. And you realize that Logan's behind you. And he's like... And he climbs up behind you. He's like, go, go until you'll, you'll see, it'll go. It's not going to be a drop down. You'll be able to go down only be like a two foot drop. Okay. Okay. Sure. And she'll do that. So you're going for about, you're, you're going for about maybe like three minutes, four minutes, you know, and, and you could feel like it's still cold in this tunnel and in, in this metal grate of a tunnel and you're able to get to the end and you kind of feel your hands come across like like out of it and you feel like the cement underneath it and you're able to get out there and you take your flashlight and you're able to see that now you're like this is weird this is eerie like where you're in right now because it, it, it looks like it's kind of like about 20 feet high or excuse me 20 feet wide and it's like curved on top so you can actually see the top of it and it's about like 10 feet up it's almost like it has this arch like it's half a circle almost that that you're in and you as you you can see that it goes for a while. You can't see the end of it. And you see, okay, we're going to keep walking down this way, all right? Yeah. Logan, where are we exactly? What is this? This is the the veins of the city. And every city that you see these types have, they they got they have their they have their ways and it, the city seems to adapt itself around them. It happens, and it's on us being the sword to cut our ways through it. So if these are the veins, what is the what is the blood and are maybe this is really weird are we moving towards the heart maybe maybe we are i still don't know but that's why we're going to get it it could be the heart go he like motions his head forward okay yeah let's let's get this over with and you start walking down and then eventually you're walking down this rather large kind of area and you see that he stops you for a second. It looks like you can keep going forward and he motions the light to the left. And you see then to the left, there's like another little like kind of like walkway that can kind of go down there that can fit maybe like two people wide. That's cut into there. And he's like, and he goes, he's like, come on, let's go. And Abigail will give up saying, yes, let's do this and just go. And he stops you right before you walk. And he's like, here, let me lead the way since it kind of gets confusing in there. Okay. But you need to stay behind me, all right? I will. Don't worry. Go ahead. And you start walking in there, and time goes on. It's like almost like the 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 the, the pathway starts curving. You know, you make a left, you make a right, you go down straight, you make a left, you make a right. It kind of curves a little bit, like in a half circle, then goes straight. And almost like you feel yourself getting like almost like hypnotized a little bit following him. Cause you know, starts doing that dragging. Like when you're with your mom, when you were like with your mom and you would go clothes shopping and you just sit there at the mall and be like bored, or she would just want to keep walking on a pathway. And you start having like these memories of your life kind of like flash across you, not like 
any like they're forced upon you but you just find yourself in this monotonous drone and he's not talking to you and there's a part where you see him walk ahead and he turns and you go to turn to follow him and there's nothing there and you hear a voice from behind you it's a male voice but it's not logan's voice but it's a voice that scares you for a second because you haven't heard it since before he took his life and you hear abigail what have you done to my pack and we'll cut to linda linda you're walking through the snow holding her hand What's going on in your mind right now with like all this that's going on? How does it feel like walking through this snow with her right now? Does it feel real? Does it feel like a dream or do you not feel anything? For the moment, it feels surreal. She has these thoughts kind of going on in the back of her mind, but they're, they're distant at this point. And I just, I imagine a scene where they're walking through and, you know, light snow is falling, but everything's a little bit brighter and, She's not really paying attention to the surroundings more as she's paying attention to the woman and how her dress is like moves as she walks. And she's really enchanted at the moment. It's funny that you mentioned you're enchanted because as you are walking, you realize that there's no snow in front of you and you look around and you smell like muskiness, like musty smell of like mildew and old books. And you look around and you're like, wait, where am I? And you see there's like, you're almost like somewhere there's a bunch of books stacked. You see like a couple wood pillars and you're looking and you see like boxes. And it looks like almost like you're in a basement, but it's lit. But then you see like ahead of you, you see this figure that has like a pickaxe. And he's like, like swinging it into the foundation of this floor that you're on. He's about like 20 feet in front of you. He has like reddish hair that's down to like his shoulders, but he's wearing like, like it looks like, like, like some dress slacks. He has a sweater on a brown sweater and tan slacks. And he has like brown loafers and he's just swinging. Bam, you just hear the ching ching. You see some sparks fly. You see he'll stop and he'll pick up like a big piece of like foundational rock and he'll start to like slide it over. You see even like eventually he like, sometimes he'll get down on his knees and he'll pick up more and then he'll get a shovel and she's just holding your hand. And she looks at you and she's like, watch, this is what you need to know. And you see that he's sitting there digging. It seems like eternity. You see dirt starts coming out. Like he's broke through the foundation. He's digging into the dirt. And then you see he stops and he gets up and he walks off and he comes back. And you see behind him walking in his white nightgown is the lady that you're with. And she kisses him on the cheek. And then she goes and she's like, I'm ready to sleep. And she goes into the hole and you see him slowly start putting the dirt on top of it and then he starts like putting this rock that's on top of it and she's like that is when i decided to sleep that was after the city had been almost destroyed that is the man who brought you over and she motions over to the figure and you realize that's the man who brought you over in the embrace the one who undressed himself and folded his clothes nicely and she looks at you and she's like that is when i slept and then there's a moment where like you're looking at her and you look back and you see that this room looks like the foundation's all smooth, like nothing had happened. And you look around and you see like there's more different books than there's like boxes that are like full of stuff. And then you see a figure walking in and you see he has blue jeans on and he has a tweed jacket with like a button up Cambry shirt underneath it. And it's the same man. And you see this time he has a pickaxe and he starts hitting the foundation again and the process starts happening again. And then you see a moment where he stops and he gets out of this hole that he had been digging and he stands at the edge of the hole 
and you just see a hand, two hands come up on the edge, covered in dirt and suit. And you see his figure, the one that you're standing next to, is climbing out of it, wearing the same nightgown that she wore. She's like, that is when I awoke. And she looks at you. I awoke because there's things that need to be done. But right now, when you and I talked, I was still in that ground. There's more I need to show you. Let's go. And she grabs your hand, and she goes walking towards the steps, and you and her walk up the steps in this library. And as you get to the top and you expect to see a building that's similar, you're standing in front of an apartment door, an entrance to an apartment building. It's night outside. You hear like street walkers that are outside, prostitutes making cat calls. It's nice out. It's like spring out. You look at her and she's still wearing this white nightgown. And you look down at yourself and you're still wearing the white clothes. People are walking past you guys. She's like, this is where I started my moves. And she opens the door and walks in. And you're in the lobby of this apartment complex. She walks to another door and opens it up and goes down the hallway to one of the apartment doors. And she knocks on the door. The door opens. And when the door opens, you realize that you both are looking at her. But it's not her that's with you now. It's her, but she's wearing like a gray pantsuit. And you see she's looking at this person who answers the door. And the guy who answers the door, he's has like blue jeans on and no shirt. He has black hair, but it's kind of like shorter cut, but it's really greasy. He smells a B.O. He has like really gray eyes, but his teeth are kind of yellowish. And you see, he, you get this sense, like the, the, the woman in you gets this uncomfortable sense around him. Like it's almost naturally, instinctually, like even the, the, the side of you that's still mortal realizes that this man's a predator in a way. But not the predator like you are, but the predator that, that women have always had to be concerned about. And she looks at this figure and she's like, are you Christopher? Is your name Christopher Markin? And he's like, yeah, and... And then she just, you see the figure smile and she just pounces on him and the door closes. We'll cut to Abigail. You hear that voice behind you, Abigail. What do you do? I turn around faster than I've ever turned around. I say, Felix, you, you're dead. What do you, what do you, what do you do? What do you mean what I did I do with your pack? And you see a figure. It's kind of hard to make him out. He's shirtless. It looks like Felix. He has these tight black jeans on. He has engineer boots on. He's not wearing a jacket or shirt. He sees long hair with his black rosary comes across his pale chest. And he walks and he almost like dismissively walks past you and keeps walking forward. And he turns and looks at you playfully. It's like, are you just going to stand there? Or are you going to come with me, Abigail? I'll come with you and, and everywhere. Anywhere. Yeah, you will. Always. What, what? He looks at He's like, you think you're that important to me. You think I care about you like that? He- no, you, you're that important to me. Oh, am I? Why am I so important to you? You didn't even know me. You put me up on this pedestal. And then look what I did when you needed me. Abigail will start to tear up at these very harsh words to her. Because she does. She she holds him higher than anyone else. Don't cry. Jesus Christ. You're fucking weak. Come, <sighs> Let's go. Come on, lady. You wanted to come down here. And you seem like he kind of like teasingly turns and looks at you. And then he turns and walks around another curve. She'll pick up pace and immediately try and be as close to wherever he's going as possible. And you see he's almost like egging you on. Like you turn the curve and you see it stretches out a little bit. And he's he's like walking like all like he always had this machismo about him. You know, like you remember when he would walk in like in these bars and he would like instigate shit. 
so you all would just maul whoever's in the bar and you almost like would walk in like with this like swagger that you know whenever he'd walk and he's doing that now and he's just looking at you he's like you don't even know why we killed ourselves and yet you put us on like are the rest the same are they that stupid are they that stupid to where they think that like we like somehow should be adored by you all and he like turns and he like keeps walking he goes around another like curve to where you can't see him she'll keep following him that's for sure but she'll mumble to herself and probably he can hear i guess not and when you say that all of a sudden you feel his hand coming from behind you and he grabs your shoulder he slams you in the fucking wall with both shoulders and his face is all like up to up like close to yours with an inch he's like you fucking cunt do you want me to fucking kill you is that what it is do you want to die are you going to fucking sit here this whole goddamn time and moan? Or are you going to walk, bitch? Are you going to fucking walk? I I am walking. What are you doing? Then he just takes you, like, pushes you to, like, keep walking. He's like, let's go then. Fucking walk. And he, like, kicks your, like, butt, you know, as you're, like, trying to get up to, like, make you go forward. Come on. Keep walking. She'll lose her balance for a bit and do that that stumble and then start to pick up more pace because that that wasn't that wasn't nice but if that is what felix wants then that is what she'll do as you're walking forward stumbling forward he's like laughing at you and he's like i should have fucking killed you all it was that goddamn stupid bitch of my sister who fucking made me do this whole fucking bullshit anyways whole fucking time as you're like walking you know he's almost like this parent who won't shut up when they're like lecturing their kids like the whole fucking time it's like we gotta do this we gotta add our part this is so fucking stupid go around the goddamn fucking corner you stupid bitch and he like comes up and he pushes you again as you like kind of stumbling forward as you go around the corner you see there's this circular clearing and you see like you almost have to walk across it and you see there's some kind of a light that's like emanating from that room or from that tunnel over there like like that the continue walkway and he's like there you are there it is what there's what that's where we need to go that's where you need to see what you need to see. That's the whole fucking reason you're here, you dumb bitch. That's the whole reason we brought you over. Let's go. We're almost there. She's going to be happy when she sees you. Come on. She? Oh, yeah. You know, you think you hold me on this pedestal, lady. Just wait. And you see, he just kind of pushes you forward, like, between your shoulder blades. Come on. And as you fucking walk around the curve, you see this sight that's something you never have ever imagined you would see anything like. You go into another similar clearing, circular, and you see there's this cross, like a wooden cross that somehow is embedded into the ground. It's about 15 feet, 14 feet in height. And you see nailed to this cross is his skinned figure. All his skin is missing. You see there's his hands are nailed to the cross. His feet are nailed to the cross. And he's, my, he's laughing like a madman. And you see him looking down at you. And you notice as you're looking along the walls of this area, you see there's people who are hanging there that are along the walls. It's almost like they're sewn together in this way that you could never imagine. It's almost like there's like a gentle red light that's kind of like pulsating behind their bodies. And you're hearing this buzzing sound. And you see, look, this is one who danced a little too close and almost got where many need to go. But he failed. So she makes an example of him. This was a mortal who thought he could dance the dance. And he almost did. Until his vanity got the best of him. But don't worry. She's not going to use you like that. She's hungry. And you're going to be the one to sate her. 
Hello. If you're enjoying Vampire the Masquerade, Twin Seas by Night Sorrow, I would highly recommend our Ghoul's Fatal Addiction story, Servitude, which takes place three months before the events of Sorrow and is part of the Twin Seas by Night continuity.